0: Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, tatman Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood, let's get radical about philosophy. We have Dr. Kim Toffoletti who is a senior lecturer School of Humanities and Social Sciences, Faculties of Arts and Education, Deakin University. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Beth. Thank you very much for having me.
0: What inspired you to study sport and its female fans?
1: Well, primarily, I am a female fan of sports myself. And this, I guess, led me to think about how other other women engage with sport. So my primary uh, sports that I follow... Are the AFL. I'm a committed uh, Hawthorne Hawks supporter and I also follow the A-League, the soccer and I follow Melbourne Victory. So I think primarily this came, my interest in examining female sports fans from an academic perspective really came about around the time of the allegations against sexual assault that were emerging against AFL footballers. And I was in discussions with a colleague of mine, a man called Dr Peter Mewitt, who is a recently retired sociologist at Deakin. And we were engaged in this very feisty discussion, wondering why on earth women would support a sport that, in so many ways, uh, is quite hostile towards women. So the AFL, while it has many female football fans, at the same time, players were engaging in acts that were deemed disrespectful to women. It's a sport that doesn't have many women at senior levels. And so we were discussing these things. And I guess from that, a research question emerged, which is, well, you know, what, what, why do women follow uh, particularly male-dominated sports? And I think that really led us to, to study female fans of the AFL and then uh, more broadly women who, who follow sport.
0: Just, just roughly, what would the percentage of male and female fans be for, say, AFL?
1: Well, AFL is an interesting example, even globally. Really, there are very few sports in which women follow in almost equal numbers to men. So the way in which we can gauge the percentage of men to women are things like our ticket sales. So at ground spectators, and for men and women, they're very comparable, the Australian Bureau of Statistics also hold numbers on uh, sports fan attendance, and uh, again for women and men, at the AFL it's very comparable. Uh, the other way in which we might measure the number of women sports fans are, are through things like, um, you know, traditional media forms like television, but also social media. So Australian uh, women who follow Australian rules football or the AFL really are quite unique amongst. Female sport fans, sports fans in the world, in terms of of the numbers and their participation, it's quite unusual. And I think again that that was very interesting to me as a as a researcher, as well as a fan, and led me really to investigate why this, why their support is so, why they why they support in such large numbers
0: yeah, you just mentioned before about the incidence of sexual misconduct of footballers, and your study takes a different approach, analysing the perspectives of a female Australian rules, football fans, to consider gender narratives of sexual misconduct. yeah firstly, why, why did you take this approach?
1: Well, it's a good question. I think at the time when these allegations of sexual misconduct were emerging, and it was both with uh, AFL players but also the NRL so the rugby league codes that predominate in New South Wales and and Queensland. But um, there were some allegations around those codes too. And the reason why we decided to look at fans is because they were really the missing voice, I think, in those debates. So there was a lot of media kind of debate and discussion. There were a number of academics who were speaking to footballers as well as speaking to people within... Uh, the codes organisations to try to make sense of why these kinds of allegations uh, were were being made and why there was a sustained kind of, I guess there was a a sustained kind of culture of sexual misconduct against women. But what seemed to be really absent was women or or football fans' voices and views in in a more, I guess, research context. So... There was actually a really interesting website that was set up around the time called Football Fans Against Sexual Assault and the website's now been archived, I think it's not no longer available, but what this website did was allow uh, create a virtual forum where football fans, both male and female, were able to uh, voice their their opposition and really in their disgust at, at these kinds of behaviours by athletes and these were people who love sport, who love football and felt really conflicted, I think, about the kinds of behaviours of a lot of their heroes. And while this website, I think, uh, was a really important place for fans to have a voice, it really wasn't undertaken in a sort of academic way. And and so really, that I think that opportunity was there to actually undertake interviews, particularly with female fans, and I think that was quite important because I think for women to be following a male-dominated sport where a number of players were acting in ways that were inappropriate towards women. I think that that creates actually quite a, a, a kind of a unique perspective that um, that we really wanted to look at. So uh, that's that's part really part of uh, really the reason why we did look at female female fans and also that idea of the contradiction. So how is it that someone can support a sport so with such enthusiasm and such with such love and and at the same time? You know, the administration of that sport and the players really, you know, turning a blind eye, I think, um, up until that time, really, up until it became a sort of a a mainstream documented phenomena, um, really turning a blind eye, I think, to those kinds of behaviours and practices towards women.
0: So what were the results of your study
1: Well, there are a number of really interesting results. It was great research to conduct. I must say I really enjoyed every moment of all the women we spoke to. So I conducted this research with my colleague, Dr. Mewitt, who I I mentioned earlier. And what we did is we had a number of focus groups. So we invited groups of of football fans uh, both in Melbourne, in Sydney, as well as Geelong, and we also did some focus groups in Western Australia. And we got female football fans together to talk more generally about the pleasures and the passions and the complexities of being a football fan. And it was wonderful because all the women who were there were so invested in sport and loved it and it was such an important dimension of their lives. We also did one-on-one interviews with a a number of women too. So what we found from all of these, uh, these women that we spoke to were a number of of quite interesting uh, perspectives about sexual assault. So what we found is that a lot of the women felt very conflicted. So they had a, a, you know, in some ways they were just passionate, one-eyed supporters, but at the same time found that very hard to reconcile with what was going on, and particularly if their teams were involved or the people in question, the men in question, the sportsmen in question, were heroes of theirs. This kind of tension was was quite interesting. So what they did is they used particular narratives to try to explain what was going on. So they would say things like, I think these were particularly gendered narratives, I think that's quite important, that they tried to justify what was going on in a way to legitimate their ongoing support of sport. So they would say things like, well, it's just a few bad eggs, or boys will be boys. So particularly around footballers, they try to explain it away by saying, well, it's just a, a, an individual thing. There's just a few bad eggs in the basket, or, and really, these sports as we know them are fine. They're, they're, they're really not the problem. And what we... Uh, so this, this what we know from other research that we've done is that a lot of these kinds of attitudes towards women actually um, begin within the sporting organisations themselves. So particular kind of ideas about women as perhaps uh, as devalued or as objects that are there to service football players in whatever way that might be. And so that these kinds of ideas often feed into um, the kinds of attitudes that footballers might have towards women. But for a number of our respondents uh, or the women we interviewed, they they found that that kind of structural thinking, they didn't tend to think that way. They didn't sort of think about the organisation as much as they tried to explain it away as a, as a matter of kind of bad, you know, a, a few bad boys, which was quite interesting. The other complementary, I think, gendered narrative that we saw was around the women who had made the allegation. So, again, often they were cast as the problem. So while, and, and look, I would say that, you know, a lot of the women that we did speak to were very unhappy about these, these allegations of sexual assault. They were troubled by them. But nonetheless, they really employed a particular kind of gendered stereotypes. I think, to try to make sense of them. And so the idea of these women as putting themselves in positions that they shouldn't have also of these women as knowing what they were getting into. So again, the idea that footballers have particular urges and you can't expect any more of them. So they were absolved in some ways, but that the women should know better. So it was quite interesting in that way because uh, a lot of those kinds of ideas around male and female behaviour are really uh, more broadly mirrored in, in broader society and stereotypes around sexual assault that I think have been challenged not only within our research but also more broadly in research on sexual assault to start sort of un- unpicking some of these kinds of stereotypes and exposing them for what they are, which is unfounded and, and often very, um, very critical of, of women or-, or victims who have not necessarily, you know, uh, who have not asked for this kind of treatment and are speaking out at it at, at-, at great expense to themselves, I think.
0: How do cultural differences affect women's sports' fanship?
1: Well, again, that's a a really good question. And uh, one, I think that we don't know as much about as we should. So I've mentioned that I've undertaken quite a lot of research with AFL fans. And what I found in undertaking that research is that there's really not much out there that looks at female football fans. So there's been some work in the U.S., Uh, I did some work with a colleague in New Zealand. Uh, There's some stuff coming out now in Scandinavia and particularly around different sporting events. So, for example, the World Cup, whenever the World World Cup is held, there tends to be uh, some sort of academic discussion there around female sports fans. But it's really limited. And I think that's one of the, the things that I'm interested in pursuing more broadly is, you know, sport is such a global event these days and that there are women sports fans ac- across the globe and we know that they are becoming increasingly visible, particularly in these new media kind of spaces and uh, also in terms of background spectatorship, now that sport is very much a, in, in some ways sport is, is entertainment and it's very much cultural event. And despite this, we, we don't really know much about how women's sports fanship operates in different cultures. And I think also, you know, part of the the reason why I think this is important to look at is because there's a lot of myths around sport as this kind of universal, unifying thing that everyone comes together for for major sporting events. And I think something like the recent World Cup is a real example of this kind of myth that the world comes together and that in a way all the inequalities of the world (laughs) tend to disappear when everyone is united around sport. But what we, what I know from the research I've done and other studies on women sports fans is that's not necessarily the case. That uh, women do continue to be marginalised as sports fans, and their support is often questioned. I think it's it's interesting to look at the way in which sports fans globally share some of those gender dimensions or some of those gender inequalities but also recognising that within each country or each region of the world there are going to be really specific kinds of conditions I think which are going to inform how women the extent to which women participate as sports fans and the way that they do that.
0: Um, Could you explain about theories of transnational feminism?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, this is um, a framework, a theoretical framework, which I'm using as I begin to develop my research around female sports fans globally so this is the the next step for me having done this work around afl fans and i'm i'm currently writing a book around female sports fans across across the globe so it's a very ambitious project but i think that's what that that is one that's necessary because as i've mentioned there's very little understanding of those sort of cultural specificities around what it means to be a be a fan so when I talk about transnational feminism, I guess it's a way or a framework that allows me to try to think a little bit about what it is that women share as fans across the globe, but in looking for those similarities that I don't ignore the differences between women. So we're talking about transnational feminism. I think it very much emerges from uh, a critique of a, a, a Western feminist agenda coming out of things like colonialism and modernity. So Western feminists will often uh, identify issues that they believe are of concern for women and that that becomes the agenda, really, uh, around gender equality. And what transnational feminists have done is said, well, perhaps those kinds of priorities aren't necessarily uh, the priorities for, for women who... Uh, not in the West, uh, and that perhaps there are another set of questions uh, relating to gender equality and achieving that, which need to be which need to be identified within the countries in which they're occurring or the regions in which they're occurring. So those kinds of questions of 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 recognising the differences across nations uh, between women, um, as well as trying to at the same time not suggest that well, all women are different, therefore there's no unifying agenda for feminism. I think, you know, as as feminists we need to find a way to work together uh, to be able to speak about shared inequalities uh, and to do it from a place, I think, which recognises that women's differences. And, And I think as a researcher that's quite important for me, that I don't want to be speaking for women who who might not have English as their first language or pretend to know that I know exactly what their struggles are or their challenges are. So in undertaking transnational research or research with women who uh, aren't from English-speaking countries, I, I don't want to come in there and assume that I know what matters to them and that I'm I'm best qualified to to speak about it. I'd prefer to take this idea of a a transnational feminist approach and to work in dialogue with other women and to ask them actually what their experiences are and start from that place and recognise their histories and their culture. Why
0: is it that women's sport fans really appear in films as leading roles?
1: Now, this is a, 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 another question which touches on another dimension of female sports fandom that I've been looking at and that I've published on. And that's the, the idea of female sports fans and how they're actually represented in popular popular forms. So as well as speaking to, to women, I've had a look at, at films. I think films are a really interesting site where we can get an idea of how we come to understand what sports fans are like or we have a particular imagined idea of what the sports fan is. A lot of sports films out there. I've enjoyed many of them, Beth.
0: Um,
1: and actually, doing this research has been very enjoyable because I also get to watch lots of films about sport, which I very much enjoy. And what I found is that the films uh, films that portray fans will often, or will almost exclusively, uh, have male fans as the, their central focus. And the quintessential fan, as represented particularly by Hollywood, uh, tends to be white male. Uh, fanatical but this fanaticism is justified while female fans should they be represented tend to be in very stereotypical roles so the mother as the supporter of an athlete could be characterized as a fan and that's the, the kind of depiction or as the fanatical fan that's obsessive but in a way that is seen as a threat to a male athlete so for a, a male fan to be obsessive in Hollywood film is, is kind of part and parcel of being a, a sports fan, while for women, if they're portrayed as obsessive, it's almost a pathological kind of response, really.
0: Ooh, yeah, that's right, yeah. that crazy woman, but, yeah, that fanatical man.
1: <laughs> yes, um, and so, so or, you know, it's very sexualised, often as the object of um, the male athlete's desire, uh, which is okay because uh, particularly within Hollywood film, the female fan needs to be there to support and service the, the male athlete in, in whatever way that might be, but also as the the highly sexualised predator. So uh, a film like Bull Durham, which is a great film, <laughs> is, is an example of that. And, and another more recent one is a, a movie called Swim Fan, in which a, a young sport uh, swimmer is, is preyed upon by... Um, by a a female fan. So they don't really appear in leading roles, I think, because I think in some ways um, female sports fans don't embody our sort of bigger cultural imaginings of what a sports fan is, which tends to be quite narrow. As I mentioned, it really is that that kind of uh, white male fanatic, which is odd because, as I've mentioned, you know, within AFL, and I'm sure that many of the listeners would agree with this, they know lots of diehard female sports fans and that, that perhaps this kind of stereotype is not really reflective of either themselves or other women they know that are really passionate about sport.
0: Finally, do you think that the future of football is female
1: Oh, I'd like to think so, Beth. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting quote that came from the former FIFA head, um, Sepp Blatter, on the, the future, I think, of, of, of football, really, and its its directions. And the future of football is female is one of his sort of uh, lasting catch cries. I, I'd like to think so. I think that particularly um, within marketing terms or, or within a co- commercialised sporting culture, there's this idea that, it's an un- that women as sports fans are an untapped market, and so, in the sense, the future of football, I hear survival as a corporate entity. Which it, it, is, which it is these days. I was going to say it's increasingly becoming, but I think we're, we're very much there, particularly on the, on the global stage. That that it, to ensure it, its survival, women really need to be central to these kinds of these these big codes, soccer, football across the codes in, in the you know in in countries such as the US or Australia, or even the emerging uh, countries in South America, places like China, Russia, these are really big markets, and in a way, what will sustain these markets is, is really engaging engaging women, and that's certainly from a from that kind of perspective of, of the sort of co- corporatisation of, of sport. But I think more broadly, if we think about how sport might engage people more broadly within their own nations... And the cultures of those nations, I think it's really important to have women as engaged, I think, and, and welcome in such a prominent social institution. And I think Australia, you know, whether you love sport or hate sport, I think there's general agreement that it's it looms large in the Australian psyche and it's a really central part of Australian identity uh, I don't think you could ever arrive in Melbourne without someone asking you what your football team
0: is. Uh, even I if know, <laughs> yes, and I'm from Sydney. So, you yeah, it's caused, caused a few problems. I, I, I sort of like to, to have a bit of fun with people when they say, and which team do you barrack for? And I say, the Rabbitohs.
1: Yeah, and they think, yeah, I there's think... just, yeah,
0: exactly, there's that pause and they think, oh, she doesn't understand, oh, that poor woman from Sydney. <laughs> right. I think I understand, I'm just having a bit of a lend of them. That's
1: right. <laughs> but, you know, the, the sooner you adopt a team, I think the better, Beth. Because I don't never... know,
0: I've, I've, you know, it's <laughs> been almost 30 years that I haven't, so, well, you never know, do you? <laughs>
1: That's right, maybe our discussion might have swayed you.
0: Oh, thanks very much for coming on today. It's been
1: very interesting. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Beth, and uh, it's been a real pleasure to be able to talk to you and to talk about some of these issues that not only am I very passionate about, but uh, that hopefully engage your listeners um, also.
0: Great, thank you.